We use our phones for everything at this point, and I am absolutely guilty of that. I look up recipes on my phone. I meal plan on my phone. I use my GPS, even though I know where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) But did you know that you can also use your phone for some sexy me time? Don't worry. Your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup dipsystories.com slash just break up. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like getting over hurtful comments, being a late bloomer, and politics in relationships. Ooh. <laughs> but <laughs> before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health professionals, relationship advice givers, anything of the sort. Right. We are literally only licensed to, to drive. drive. And, and that's it. That's it. Barely in that, that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Yes, Sam and I are not professionals. Um, We are not trained in this. So please take our advice as you see fit in your life. It is your life and not ours. We are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Before we get into this week's check-in topic, we wanted to acknowledge that if you're listening in real time, this episode airs on Valentine's Day, the the day Mm, of... Mm -hmm. Pink and red and love and shame <laughs> and <laughs> and capitalized loneliness, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. In Not your, capitalized like big letters, but right? capitalized like... Like they're capitalizing on our capitalistic. loneliness. Capitalistic, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yep, that's exactly what I meant. In years past, Sam and I have typically created like a how to survive Valentine's Day user guide or, you know, we have conversations about how capitalism loves to profit off of our loneliness, you know, or make mm-hmm. us feel bad yep, yep, for not yep. being coupled and and things like that. Um, and all of those things are still really true about Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in the spirit of not giving this holiday um, Undo any gravity attention. that it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, that it doesn't deserve. Uh, we're not going to talk about it. So, if <laughs> we wanted to want... nod in the general direction of like that, <laughs> yeah. this is happening. We know it's happening, but like for sure, yep, not on absolutely. our our airways. <laughs> no, absolutely. But if, like Sierra said, you can find um, previous year's episodes where we talk more in depth about the holiday and things you can do to help survive it or to to 
also celebrate it too, yeah. right? We want to create space for all of those truths to be true at the same time. So if you love Valentine's Day, you're celebrating it, you're celebrating it with your partner or with your friends or whatever. Love that for you. Do that. If you're feeling really upset and annoyed and frustrated with with Valentine's Day, feel that as well. Take care of yourself. Do what you need to do. But we're gonna just let this one slide. <laughs> we're just, gonna pretend like it's not happening yep exactly <laughs> just like me and my last breakup <laughs> yeah <laughs> just kidding all right y'all uh this week's check-in topic comes from a fantastic dm from one of our amazing listeners essentially the listener wanted to know uh they enjoyed our recent like black 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 review you know how and why we black people and they were asking for tips on when you do have to meet up with an ex either directly after a breakup when you want to like do that thing that we want to do which is like hash things out or when you have to figure out what you know figure out new boundaries where stuff goes belongings disseminated or you know months later years later maybe how do you reconnect how do you meet up with an ex for the first time while maintaining you know healthy boundaries authenticity do's and don'ts tips and tricks for meeting up with your ex when required yeah sure good good topic i thought that was smart because sometimes it you is. know like Sam and I talk a lot of talk about the black 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 and I believe in it so much. Um, but I also know that we're like humans and we are not only deeply fallible, but we we deeply crave human connection, even in our hurt, even from people who hurt us or vice versa. So this these meetups happen. And so how can we get through them while taking care of ourselves? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one recommendation. Don't do it. <laughs> Maybe offer some alternatives. <laughs> That's my advice. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I feel like really <laughs> inequipped to answer this question because I like. I've never done this. I mean, I have. I don't think I've done this successfully. I don't think I've, <laughs> I've never done it consensually. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the ex has been like, will you meet up with me? Yeah. 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 Or like, hey, I'm coming to your house. Like, you have to talk to me. And I'm like, I don't want this. Or like, I've run into them. Right. Right. Or I've like seen them at a party of people that we both know. Yeah. As an example. Yeah. Um, so like, that's an example of like a time when you would have to see somebody. Yeah. Like, if you run into them at a party or if like, again, if you wanted to get coffee or like they invite your, themselves over to your house and tell you that they have to do that because you, you can't throw away five years of relationship with them. And not see them, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think one of the things that was really helpful for me when I would meet up with or run into my ex um, was to remind myself over and over again that I don't owe them anything, right? And so, like, when I felt like my boundaries were being crossed or I was being sucked into mm-hmm. a type of conversation that wasn't helpful for me about like rehashing stuff or whatever. I literally said to myself, I don't owe this person anything, Mm. right? Like I don't, I don't owe them an explanation. I don't owe them a conversation about this. I don't owe them anything. Like they're no longer part of my life intentionally, right? Like we broke up for reasons. So I don't, I don't need to go down this path of rehashing old stuff. I don't need to go down memory lane. I get to just say like, I can just walk away. (laughs) Like I can just like say goodbye, right? Like, 
And that was really hard for me because like when in those situations, I feel like the old stuff comes up and it's like, oh, yeah, I owe this person everything. They're my they're my partner. And like, especially if like things were rocky or rough where you felt like you maybe you were overextending mm-hmm. like I did in many of my relationships to say like, I don't have to do this anymore. Like, Can you flip that script <laughs> for somebody who was dumped? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like where you're like. Yeah, I mean, I was dumped both of those times. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm thinking like when you're when you were dumped um, or maybe the breakup went in such a way that you're now feeling like this person does owe you something or, you know, like which we know mm. is fundamentally untrue. But our feelings tell us that, you know. Yeah. Which is also to say that like this person, this person doesn't owe you anything. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's like, like a Sharpie. Sharpie, a sharp pill to swallow is what I was trying to say. You know, like spiky, sharpie. <laughs> spiky, sharpie pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I was like, they don't owe you anything either. And that like your healing isn't going to come from them, well, right? Yeah. And I know that people tell us stories of like, I met up with my ex and it was so healing. Great. But like our expectation can't be that. Yes. That can be like the icing on the cake. Like, ooh, this is great. But um. Our healing has to come from other places often than the person who hurt us. So Yes. My number one piece of advice is to really emotionally prepare yourself. Like what, like for me, that honestly looks like maybe journaling or saying out loud to myself, what, why am I going there? What do I expect to happen? And are my, are my expectations within the realm of reality as I know this person to be not the person I dated, but the person that has gone through the breakup with me, you know, like who Mm. chose not to be with me or who, or whatever. Mm. Um, So going into that meeting with realistic expectations, for example, not expecting the person to be like, Oh my God, I miss you so much. Let's be together. Maybe they do say that, (laughs) but if you guys broke up, you probably broke up for a reason. And also you maybe don't want to get back together, but Mm-hmm, Furthermore, mm-hmm. along with the realistic expectations, I try to think about like, what are my goals? What are my realistic goals? I don't think a realistic goal would be to get back together as much as our heart wants that, right? I think a realistic goal would be like to feel, to to be heard and not to be necessarily healed, mm. you know, or like to say my, my a goal, realistic goal for me would be to say my pain out loud, but not necessarily yeah. to have my pain acknowledged because yeah. we have mm-hmm. to go into these meetings knowing that we can never truly control another person's option uh, actions and that their actions are never going to be the ultimate salve to our wound that like we're, we can't go into these meetings anticipating, um, them to do the emotional work that we need to do for our healing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that idea around like, what are my goals from this conversation can be really helpful. And like even being really explicit with yourself about what your boundaries are too. Like these are the things that are off the table for us to talk about, or these are the things. I'm not going to rehash this. Right. We're not going to go to a second location, you know, like, what are the things that are that you're going to hold yourself to? Yes. Um, and I'll say this too. I think that like from my experience, the buildup is bigger than the thing itself, right? Like my experience with running into you or talking to my exes is that it's not, 
as big a deal as I am making it in my head, right? (laughs) Right? Because it's like, oh, no, that's right. We're still just like two people. They're not a monster. I'm not a monster. Like we can be full grown adults who have conversations about these things. And like, we can, we can be civil to each other. We can, whatever it is, like it is often so much less scary in the moment than it is beforehand but I do think that Sierra is right that thinking about like your goals, your boundaries, like doing some of that reflection and journaling, like getting yourself emotionally ready for it can be helpful. Um, but also like it doesn't have to be yeah. big. It doesn't have to be. I'm imagining those meetings that you like and you reach out after a couple months of no contact and you're like, would you like to get coffee? You know, like, can we basically I'm I'm thinking about these meetings, particularly the ones that you use to transition from being exes to just being nothing. <laughs> You know, like not necessarily <laughs> friends, not necessarily exes anymore, but just like to clear the air. But also sure. I know that the the DMer was asking about like the first meeting post breakup, like how does that have to go down? You know, um, yep. I love that you brought up the comment about the second location, like mentally telling yourself I'm not going to go to a second location because there's a couple logistic things I want to talk about, too. Um, like <laughs> what is your goal to like not have any physical contact with this person, (laughs) you know, like I Mm -hmm. definitely think past year would have to tell myself, like, I don't want to make out. I don't want any like consolation kisses or, and I don't want to like ease back into the comfort of this relationship physically, just because that's maybe what my heart and, and body wants. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'd have to tell myself Mm -hmm. like no booze, (laughs) no second location. Um, uh, and I, the the last thing that I want to say is just the the meetings of the, this sort that I've had in in my past. I definitely always felt like I had something to prove, like I had to prove that I was no longer the person that they wanted to break up with, or I had to prove that mm. I was still lovable and funny and desirable, um, and I had to prove that I learned something from this breakup or like from the person they didn't like, you know, I wasn't that person anymore. But ultimately the best thing you can do to remind yourself is like, not everyone is for me and I'm not for everyone. I'm not a problem to be solved. I am, I might have made mistakes in this relationship, but this is not like a debt that I need to rectify. I don't need, you know, this Mm. does not have to be the time in which you prove that you now get up at 7 a.m. and make your bed every day and are like a put together person and not the hot mess that they dumped. Like, you know, Mm. shame might tell you that you need to convince them of that, but I'm telling like Auntie Sierra is saying you don't. You don't need to prove anything to them because their validation of your growth or healing has nothing to do with your overall growth or healing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think you're not responsible for their healing either. Right. Right. Like also part of that, it's um, because my experience of these conversations too has been like a lot of like, here's my opportunity to tell you everything that you did wrong and all how this breakup has caused me to do all of these awful unsafe things to myself because I'm so upset and how could you do this to me type of stuff stuff reminding too that like in these instances I got dumped (laughs) which is fine but (laughs) like (laughs) uh so like also putting some I think emotional boundaries between you and this person as well to say like I'm not responsible either for their healing I don't have to take accountability for 
every element of blame that they're they're placing on me. Right. You can say you can take some accountability if it feels like a safe place to do it for sure. But like it's not your responsibility to apologize for everything that you've ever done wrong in a relationship or to take accountability for how they reacted to the breakup yeah. either. Right. Yeah. Like you can definitely put some emotional space in that as well. I think that's perfect. or some some emotional boundaries, too. Yeah. All right. Those are that's obviously not like an end all be all of how humans can interact with one another or respond to this stimulus. Um, obviously sure. each person and relationship is different, but those are a couple thoughts from Sam and I about how to do that first meeting with an ex post breakup or, you know, years post breakup or whatever. Mm-hmm. You want to get into some letters? Yes, let's do it. Our first letter comes to us from spicy avocado. Whose pronouns are she, her who is writing from anxietyville. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. You are both so insightful and inclusive and it inspires me. I began doing so much head and heart work after listening to this podcast and I'm eternally grateful for you both. I'm also a fellow English major. I'm a 24-year-old she, her in a serious monogamous relationship with a 25-year-old he, him. We've been dating for about nine months. I just have a question about something that I've really struggled with in this relationship and my past one as well. How do you forgive and forget past words that have been super hurtful? I have a tendency to constantly think about and almost obsess about past words that hurt me, even if it was something my boyfriend said months ago. I also have this toxic tendency to continuously bring these things up randomly or during arguments about other things. Some of the past comments include my period being disgusting, me not wanting to watch porn because I'm insecure about myself, not true, and me being dramatic, which likely stems from my highly emotional reactions during conflict, something I'm working on but still hurtful. One of the most recent hurtful comments happened when we were on a trip together. We were having an emotional argument, and he said he didn't care if we fought all the time after the trip or even broke up after, and just wanted us to get along during the vacation. Obviously, this made me extremely upset. I know he gets frustrated easily, especially when we are arguing, and he oftentimes says things he later negates, but his words hurt. He told me he didn't mean what he said at all, but it's been haunting me. It just makes it hard to know what is the truth and what isn't when he says hurtful things out of frustration and anxiety and then takes them back. Also, one of the main reasons I broke up with my ex was because he said some very hurtful things that I just never got over. How do you get over past hurtful comments in a relationship? How do you know what to forgive and move on from? And Or what words are truly unacceptable and worth leaving a relationship for? How do I avoid constantly bringing up hurtful words from months ago in current arguments? I can't tell if he's sabotaging the relationship or if I am or we both are. There are a lot of things I really enjoy about this relationship. I just can't tell if I overreact or if I keep dating guys that are too disrespectful for my liking. I've been super anxious about this recently and insights would be greatly appreciated. Thank you both so much. You. All right. <laughs> Sierra's catching her breath. Damn it, Sam. <laughs> uh, I'm pregnant, okay? <laughs> Reading a long paragraph. <laughs> you out me on the, th- the things that I least expect, like me eating peanut butter with a knife last episode. How is that not something that you were like... 
doing it. Like licking the knife. Like, how was I not supposed it's to talk knife. about it? I, I'm hungry. <laughs> Continually. <laughs> I get it. You're hungry and out of breath. Okay. <laughs> it's just like you like leaned back. And yeah, I like, was trying <gasps> to give you the physical yeah. cue that you should take it so that I can, so my diaphragm can adjust from being squished <laughs> for the last couple months. <laughs> it's all squished. It's all squished in there. All your organs. <laughs> all right. Spicy avocado. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing. Um, and I'm sorry that your boyfriend has said these hurtful things to you. Um, and I'm sorry that you are holding on to them and and thinking a lot about them and they're making you feel this anxious. Um, and I'm also sorry that it seems like he hasn't done the work to see that pain and to to help you figure out how to move past it. Yeah. So um, some of the things that he said seem pretty unacceptable to me. Yeah, I, this letter is, <laughs> I really appreciate this letter because I, there are two primary things that I want to pull out of it. Like, I I genuinely want to talk about how do we let go of things and how do right. we not become retali- retaliatory? Is that how you say it? Yep. You know, in our, in our arguments, how do we... Um, you know, people are inevitably going to hurt us because people are fallible, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, how do we let go? <laughs> you know, how do we, how do we how do we take our insecurities from the driver's seat and put them in the trunk? You know, um, sure. I de- I genuinely want to talk about that because I think it takes intentional head and heart work, et cetera, and and even the healthiest, most balanced people need help letting go and moving on. And also, there's some things in this letter that make me pause of, like, why is he saying so many hurtful things to you? Um, Like, I don't know if that's acceptable to me. Sure. (laughs) So I I just appreciate the landscape of this letter. (laughs) The diverse landscape (laughs) of it. Yeah, Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers. Um, Yeah, so I will start with the idea that, like, I think that some of the things that he has said are like genuinely hurtful. Yeah. Um, and like genuinely unacceptable. Like the idea that your period is disgusting is like, um, just not something that I think is appropriate. What if I was like something that he couldn't control? Like, Oh, I think your body hair is disgusting. Yeah. Right. The word disgusting. Like it's so hurtful. Um, I think the way that you breathe while you're sleeping is disgusting. No, I would never. Oh, my God. I would break up with that person immediately. (laughs) Because you know what? Like our body, the bodily functions are stigmatized on a hierarchy. And, you know, menstrual blood is just one of those things that is like we're allowed to talk about like that because like our culture like can't fucking handle. (laughs) For sure. I don't know, blood or periods or I don't know, people who have periods. (laughs) Yep. No, Um, absolutely. Well, and I also think that like part of what. I find frustrating about his behavior too is that like these things come up in arguments and then he like just negates them or tries to like take them back but like things can't be unsaid right the hurt can't be uninflicted um and it sounds like he's not doing a whole lot of work to see your pain or have any accountability for it right to say like I I said that thing and I can see how deeply you're hurt I'm so sorry that I said it and I will continue to apologize because I, I can't take it back, right? I can't just say like, oop, that didn't happen, or oop, I was mad, or oop, we were fighting. 
but it sounds like he's not doing that. So like, it makes a lot of sense to me that this is really top of mind for you, that it's like coming out in weird ways because you're not getting what you need from him in the situation, which is not to pretend like it didn't happen or to take it back, but to see that he has genuinely hurt you yeah. multiple times with the things that he said to you. Yeah. I don't think you're overreacting about any of the things that have been that you cited as examples of things that he said to you. Like those things are all hurtful. So you're not being dramatic in this instance, right? I think that you are looking for something that he's not giving you. Yes. Which is emotional validation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Acknowledging that he caused that pain apologizing for it and like telling you how he's going to do better. Yeah. Right. He's there's no apology, at least in this, this letter that you wrote us. I don't know your relationship cause I'm not in it, but it seems like there's no apology. And so like, of course it's coming up at random places because this is like an unhealed wound that is trying to be seen. So it's gonna, it's gonna show up all the time. It's going to come out in weird places yeah. as will any wound that is going unacknowledged. Yes. Right. And so I don't necessarily blame you for the idea that it's like coming up randomly in these things because it sounds like there hasn't been any work to heal that wound by him, right? Yes, totally. And I think that this is a perfect opportunity to illustrate how power dynamics develop in um, people who have different emotional dynamics. Like we, mm -hmm. you know, Sam has often brought up how like we prioritize people who have quote, like really direct communication who are dismissive and or secure, you know, people who mm -hmm. can, you know, who aren't categorized as anxious or dramatic, you know, right. like the, yep. anything on the other side of the spectrum, we tend to see like, even in even you, spicy avocado, you're prioritizing um, your boyfriend's handling of this conflict conflict over your own. And I want to mm. ask you, like, why? Who taught you that it was your responsibility to deal with his outbursts appropriately, and not his responsibility to not have emotional outbursts like that? Like I, I definitely was taught at some point in my life not to tell people that their bodies were disgusting and like, mm -hmm. I, I need to be accountable to that. Right. And so why is it you who has to do the emotional processing? Don't get me wrong. I do want to touch on that because I think you and I are kindred in terms of like anxious, obsessing, like kind of like letting our anxious brains take the wheel, as I said before, and also they're like, why are you the one that has to <laughs> deal with these negative comments? He, mm -hmm. I think he should at least have some accountability to, to preventing them. Number one, like Sam brought up, like to actually acknowledging the hurt that he caused, but like, why is he being so hurtful? Like, why does he think he can have these emotional? Why does he think he can have these hurtful comments and, and have no repercussions because of them? For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think that we conflict in a relationship is really normal and, and healthy. Mm -hmm. And even I think expressing things in places of emotion can also be really helpful or healthy too, right? Like some people are more emotionally expressive in how they express their feelings about things. And, you know, we can say things out of frustration. We can say things, um, in ways that we may that may not be the nicest way to say them, 
But I think that we can also say that we shouldn't be saying nasty, hurtful things to each other in conflict. Right. Right. Like there is a difference there. Right. And it and it feels like he's trying to say like, oh, this is we were fighting. So like I said this thing. I didn't mean it, but we were fighting. So it's okay. Yes. Right. Just because we're in conflict doesn't mean that we have the excuse to say something mean, right? Or hurtful, right? You might express something in frustration or it might come out the wrong way. But like the idea that you're allowed to get a, you get like a carte blanche because we're fighting. So I get to say whatever I want to you. Exactly. Is like, is not appropriate. Right. Right. And that I, I don't think that that is an indicator of of health in a relationship. And you don't deserve to have those things said to you, no matter if you're in a conflict or not, no matter how emotionally expressive you're getting while you are, you are in this conflict, right? Like you can be emotionally expressive and also still kind. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Okay. That all being said, like, I want you to listen to that first chunk of our response more than once and more clearly than what I'm about to say. <laughs> because to, to be really honest, I what I want to unpack right now is something that I want you to try to unpack in, in a relationship that is safe, like a relationship that is going where your significant mm-hmm. other isn't going to say nasty things to you. I'm not telling right. you to break up with this person because like Sam said, I'm not in this relationship. I don't know the nuances of it, but like, I would prioritize the I would prioritize creating an a conflict environment in my relationship that is safe for me to then process how I deal with it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, yes, it's not yep. on like if somebody is being abusive to me, that my priority is not going to be how do I manage and heal and respond to that abuse. It's going to be why the fuck are you being abusive to me? You know. Right. Yep. Not saying he's being abusive, just just trying to like put these two pieces of advice in in um, context with one another. So let's say your boyfriend starts saying less of these hurtful things to you, and or let's say from this day on, he is it is a emotionally safe relationship. He validates your feelings, he acknowledges your anxiety, he genuinely apologizes, and these. Things that he says out of hurt become less and less so or like, you know, we all make mistakes. We all say things we don't mean sometimes, but they're, it's becoming less and less a thing, you know, but you're still thinking about, you're still thinking about the period is your period is disgusting comment. You're still thinking about how he calls you dramatic. So how can you move your relationship with this man or another person away from anxiety being in the driver's wheel? in the driver's seat or the past being in the driver's seat. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of things that I've learned over the last couple of years is I have to one, allow my partner to be human and trust that they're, and this is a good, healthy, safe partner. This is why I had that right. like 20 minute preface. I have to trust that my, I have to allow my partner to be human, meaning like, they have to be able to articulate things poorly once in a while. They have to be able to mm-hmm. slip up or, you know, not say anything hurtful, but like, you know, say things in a way that rub me the wrong way or say things that make me pause or make me feel insecure because we're never going to be perfect orators to one another. And yeah. I have to believe best intention, meaning like I have to believe mm-hmm. that my partner loves and respects me and therefore 
the sensitive, if once my wound is acknowledged, once I'm like, man, what the way you said that, it made me self-conscious about this thing about myself. And they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I'm, I, I see how you feel that way. It wasn't my intention, but I, I'm sorry. I love this thing about, you know, like they respond to it. Then I have to decide to let it go. I have to decide to believe my partner's love and respect for me um, in partnership with their humanity, with their ability to like make mistakes. I'm only highlighting this because I just, I too have that obsession gene in me where like Mm -hmm. I could let that rule me for months, you know, and I would let that uh, define me and my relationship. And I would just, I would, the the anxious attachment style in me would just want constant affirmation that they didn't need, they didn't mean that hurtful thing or, or that that's not how they really see me or whatnot. Again, we are talking about doing emotional labor and head and heart work that is only really successful in a stable, loving, respectful relationship, which is why I keep hesitating so much because I'm not really sure this boyfriend is giving you the emotional labor in return that makes this a safe exchange. But do you get what I'm saying? Like, do you relate to that at Mm -hmm. all? Because I for sure relate to the, the core issue in this letter separate separate than the of the nasty comments but the obsession of like feeling like I can't move on. Yeah, for sure, but I I also find that in my experience it's easier to do that when the person who said the thing is yes. is actually remorseful It's easy to trust a trustworthy person sort right. of thing, yeah. It's easy to forgive a person who's like taking accountability yes. for what they've yes. done. And so and I don't think it's unreasonable for you to Talk to your partner and say things and say something like, hey, these words really, really hurt me. And I don't I don't feel like I'm being seen and how deeply these hurt. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to just acknowledge that this is deeply hurtful and apologize for it or offer me some sort of accountability around it because I'm having a hard time letting this go without us really looking at it, acknowledging it and talking about it. Yeah. Right. I don't think that that's an unreasonable thing. I think that's actually a really emotionally healthy thing to do. And I think, again, when you are in a relationship that can be that is sort of built on trust and care for each other about acknowledging each other's humanity and your own humanity, Mm -hmm. your capacity for Mm -hmm. making mistakes and recognizing that making mistakes doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you just a person who makes mistakes, which is literally everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. Sesame Street. Everyone makes mistakes. So why can't you? And doing that in relationships where that humanity is acknowledged makes it easier for you to also say, oh, this thing is really coming up for me again. And I know that like, I'm not trying to like blame you or make you or punish you for this. It's just coming up for me again. And I, I'm really feeling it and having them say, I see you. I, again, I'm so sorry that I said that thing. I know that it's not true. I love you so much. Right. Like that is how we can build towards healing because yeah. healing is also not linear, right? Yes. You can't just say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it and then never acknowledge it again, right? Because it's clearly happening for you. I think the anxiety is coming back, coming from you saying, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? And he keeps saying, right. no, no, this isn't real. This isn't real. But what if you just yeah, said, it. this is real. Your hurt is real. Mm-hmm. All yep. of a sudden you're like, well, maybe I don't need to bring it up again because it's already been validated. Right. For sure. And you're like, I don't want you to pathologize this feeling that you're having of like, 
this keeps coming up for me because yeah, it's going to keep coming <laughs> up for you. Right. Like we're humans yeah. are like, it's not like suddenly we, we like sew the wounds shut and it never hurts anymore. Yes. Right. And then we put it away and we don't have to think about it. Right. Like it's going to continue to come up and that's like very human. Yes. So you're not like a, you're not a quote unquote crazy person for having things that have hurtful things that have been said to you affect you over time, right? Or come up for you over time. Like that is a very normal human thing to be doing. So I, again, all I just feel like in this letter is, is you're taking a lot of work on yourself. Mm -hmm. You're telling yourself that you're the problem here Mm -hmm. when really what's happening is that you are in a relationship with two human beings who are working through their shit. And it seems like you're doing more of the work than he is, yeah. is all I'm going to say. And then you're telling yourself that you're crazy because you're doing more of the work. Or more, or like even clearly is like the type of work he wants to do in the relationship is not the type of work you want to do, you know? Like sure. people have different relationship uh, dynamics that they want to maintain, and it doesn't really sound like he's trying to, to hang the way you're trying to hang (laughs) yeah for sure um honestly i wanted to talk a little bit about like how not to be retaliatory in arguments um but i as much as i think that's a great topic i feel like the just general vibe of the relationship is overshadowing the need Mm -hmm. to you know like our uh the actual wounds that are coming out so maybe we can do a check-in topic on that later or something like that (laughs) yeah for sure Okay, spicy avocado. Um, I know that's a lot to unpack. I know that it's really scary. Um, but I just, Sam and I want to remind you that like your feelings are valid, that like uh, asking for respect and accountability and to be seen and witnessed in all of your humanity is like a very basic core fundamental need in relationships that you deserve, that you're worthy of that. So, um right. We hope this helps and we love you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. 
indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes from Late Bloomer, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from high school homeroom. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I just want to say thanks so much for doing this podcast. I have learned so much and it has encouraged me to grow and reflect on my own life in so many ways. I recommend it to all my friends and always look forward to new episodes. Thanks for all the inspiration. So I have a question about something I've struggled with for a long time. Thanks in advance. LOL. (laughs) I'm what plenty of people refer to as a late bloomer. Had my first kiss freshman year of college and had sex for the first time at age 23 I'm now 24 and with the same partner, he, him, as I was when I first had sex. In both my current relationship and in my past one, I've struggled with the fact that both boyfriends have had more sexual experience than me. My ex has had only slept with a few people, and my current boyfriend has slept with a lot of people, mostly in high school. For some context, I was raised Catholic and am still a practicing Catholic in many ways, but essentially it was drilled into me growing up that sex before marriage is wrong, Mm -hmm. let alone sleeping around. Along with that, Being a late bloomer, I was never the girl who was wanted in high school or even in college for that matter. My current boyfriend was the most popular guy in high school, sleeping with all the hottest girls, and I didn't get asked to a single dance. I know there's a lot of past hurt there, that lots of time has passed since high school, and that our current relationship doesn't have to be affected by this, but it's still hard. I've spent lots of time trying to work through this, and I think it'll be a lifelong process. I guess I'm just wondering if either of you have any tips on how not to dwell on past experiences with the men I date and how to not feel inadequate sexually. Both men I've dated have reassured me that they enjoyed sexual experiences with me, but they've also made me feel inferior since I don't have as much experience. 
oftentimes not on purpose, but it's just something that I have been very sensitive about. And I've discussed this with my current boyfriend. I don't think these men are bad people for having slept with other people. Sometimes it just hurts for me to think about. I worry that since my current boyfriend used to just seek women out for sex, he views women more as objects for pleasure than someone who has not had this experience would. I know it sounds bad, but I just want our sexual encounters to feel special. And I don't want to feel like just another girl. Thanks so much for reading this letter and for all that you two do. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for writing Late Bloomer and for listening. So my urge right here is to start off by saying, you're not a late bloomer. Oh my gosh, you're not a late bloomer. You're still in your your early 20s, da, 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 da. But honestly, upon reflecting on the urge to tell you you're not a late bloomer, then I'm like, well, what does that say about other people who had sex you know, didn't have sex until their thirties or forties or have never had sex. Like I realized right. that me affirming your non late bloomerness also re reaffirms the idea that there's a right and wrong way, or there's a right timeline and a wrong timeline for literally experiencing life on this crazy planet. And I don't want to do that. So let's dismantle the idea that there's a right and wrong way to have a body and there's a right and wrong way to have a body in relationship to other people. There's no such thing as a late bloomer. I know that culture and society makes us feel that way, but there is no uh, normal. There might be averages that you could like take statistically, but there mm -hmm. is no normal or right or wrong path. Your path is not an abnormal one. You're not the most fucked up person in the world, and you're definitely right. not uh, blooming behind schedule. Let's call it that. Absolutely. Yes. And at the same time, acknowledging that want to acknowledge too that the anxiety around this is really real. Yes. Right. Like even as we know that this idea of a set timeline is socially constructed and doesn't have to exist if we don't want it to, we can also acknowledge the fact that living in this can be really challenging. Yeah. Like the consequences of that sort of made up timeline are really real yes. for you. And having been in my first relationship with someone, um, I was with someone who had significantly more sexual partners than I had had, um, had sort of come into their their sexuality much earlier than I had. I for sure felt a lot of anxiety around the fact that they had had so many more partners than I had had um, and that they treated sex differently than I did because I had ideas around sex and I had only had sex with like two people at that point and was feeling a certain type of way about it. Like sex is really important to me because I've only done it with a couple people and it feels like it's less important to you because you've done it with a bunch of other people. Right. Um, and what I had to do in those instances was to remind myself of a couple things. One, him talking about his sexual past actually has nothing to do with me. <laughs> Right. He is not saying necessarily, and I don't know, maybe your boyfriend is doing this or your ex was doing this, but often I would hear him talk about his sexual past. And what I would hear was I'm inadequate. Right. I am. I have not had enough sex and I am not experienced enough when what he was actually saying was he was just talking about his past sexual partners in a way that had nothing to do with me. Right. Like I had I had made it deeply personal when it wasn't right. So I had to remind myself of like, he gets to have a life before me and he gets to talk about that life. And that life doesn't have any impact on me in this moment totally. or what my past life was. Totally. And the other thing is I had to 
reposition my understanding of sex, right? Just because he had had sex with a lot of people doesn't mean that our sex wasn't important to him. Yes. Right. Doesn't mean that our sex wasn't special to him. Right. Because he had sex with all those people. He wasn't in relationships with them, right? Like he wasn't waking up to them next to them every day. He wasn't deciding to go to dinner and a movie and like letting them meet his parents and all of these like different markers of the importance of our relationship that weren't about sex. Right. Right. So I had it. It's really hard to do. Like I totally get it. (laughs) Like I, I remember those feelings of anxiety so deeply and having to recognize the fact that like, people come into relationships with a lot of history because they are human and they've experienced, they've experienced however many years of experience that they are old and that they're choosing to be with me, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's what makes our sex special. That's what makes our sex different than the sex that they were having before. Yes. Because they're doing it with me over and over again. They're committing to only do it with me in the, at this point in time, or they're only committing to do it with, with me and like select other people, or they're doing it, you know, like whatever your relationship, whatever shape your relationship takes. But it's a hard lesson to learn. I totally understand mm-hmm. like, cause it is so, we live in this society that is so weird about sex where it's like, you shouldn't have sex. And also you should have the most sex. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, That's like, it right there. <laughs> New shirt. <laughs> new just breakup merch (laughs) and what a like what a confounding and anxiety producing like false like and what is that called cognitive dissonance that we have to sit in (laughs) and add our um puritanical cultural roots we get such mixed messages about sex that not only should we have none of it and all of it, but you're bad if you want it. You are boring if you don't want it. You are um, tainted mm-hmm. if you've already had it, but you're also immature and useless if you haven't. You know, it's like, <laughs> right? what the fuck am I supposed to feel about this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. No, absolutely. So no wonder you're feeling a lot of anxiety about this because, like, there's no... There's no right answer, right? And we're being told over and over again, you're being told over and over again that everything about what you've done or what you're doing is wrong. Yes, (laughs) Like, yes. No wonder you're feeling anxiety. I I would feel it too, for sure. And have felt it in in a very similar position. Yeah, I love your perspective. I'm glad you got to share that. Um, I think uh, uh, a related but not perfectly aligned experience that I had with sex and unpacking like my cultural understanding of it was that I felt I maybe was your boyfriend in this situation, late bloomer um, in which I felt like I had had too much sex and that it, it dictated who I was as a person and dictated the way my partners viewed me, you know, and something that I had to unpack that maybe will help you process or better understand or have more compassion for your boyfriend's experience is like his past partners aren't like on him. They don't like follow him around like the weird mm-hmm. like cans it you follows. put. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. That horror movie. <laughs> I, I was picturing the metaphor of like the cans people put on the just married cars. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I like it. Um, they're that like in the same way that you can make an, a mistake, not that sex is a mistake. I'm just, picking, you know, you can make soup one day (laughs) and then that's, that soup is not, uh, (laughs) Sam's face. 
Sam's like, where the fuck are you going to go with this? I just was like, I didn't want to associate sex with mistakes, so I moved to a culinary choice. Yeah, soup. If you make soup, one kind of soup one day, that doesn't affect the type of soup you make later. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm on board with this. Right? Like, you can make soup once. It doesn't mean that like that's your favorite soup or that's the soup you always want yeah, or, your or like best whatever super experience soup experience <laughs> <laughs> or like what I had to, what I had to process is that like um, we are told culturally societally that like um, our sexual partners taint us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. so that's what I'm trying to unpack, unpack here is that like your boyfriend is not a tainted version of himself because he's had more sexual partners than you. It doesn't taint the specialness of your intimacy and your lack of partners doesn't taint you in any way. Do you see how like mm-hmm. if we stop mm-hmm. subscribing to these really confusing, conflicting ideas about sex, then we we no longer define ourselves by them. Instead, this right. is just another part of the human experience that's never going to perfectly align with another human because we are not the same. Um, right. I think that your desire to want his sexual experiences to be more exclusive just to you, to make them more special, it makes sense on paper. It's like a math equation. You know, it's like, how can this be special if like all of these, he's experienced this with other people and not just me, but you're trying to apply like a methodology to human experience that is never going to equate not anxiety. (laughs) You know, it's never going to, it will never, I'm wondering if we can look at that differently. By instead of saying the fact that he's had sex with other people makes our sex less special, let's shift the perspective and say the fact that he has had sex with other people has no bearing on the specialness that our physical connection has. It doesn't make our intimacy or our choice to be sexually active less special. And in fact, it it. The only thing that it does to make it less special is that it takes you out of the present moment of this intimate connection. Do you know what I mean? Instead, you're living in the past. You're living in his past choices. Um, mm. And I don't want to I don't want this to take you from the present moment. Reaffirming everything Sam led with, which is like these stresses are real. Mm-hmm. And also we can take the power from them at some point. Um, yes. Yep. One more thing I want to say is like, I, another narrative that we have like shoved down our faces is the idea that inexperienced people make bad lovers right? (laughs) or, or experienced people make great lovers. Let me tell you how fucking untrue that has been proven in my life. (laughs) 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 Like I, there is... No scientific finding in my life that has affirmed that uh, other than it's just the general idea that like experience tends to make you more comfortable with exploration, makes you more comfortable with yourself. You're not hung up on. Uh, I don't know. You know, like the, the only argument I can make is that the more you do something, the more confident you feel in yourself. Right. Number one. But as a general rule, like I think our our narrative about experience equals or like no experience equals bad partner is just like unfounded, like scientifically. Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah. 
No, absolutely agree with that. And from my own my own point of view, same. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Right. It has not been an accurate predictor of the quality of the sex. Right. So, uh, late bloomer, if you could just start, um, you know, unpacking some of the stories and narratives you've been told about sex and your worthiness around it and your ability and your partner's worthiness and ability, like, um, I kn- it's so real to have this deep insecurity, especially one connected to high school, especially one connected to a time in your life in which the social hierarchy of people was much more powerful, you know? Hmm. Um, I This wound is really real, and Sam and I both see it and relate to it. And also, I think part of your 20s is really unpacking the lies that you subscribe to in high school. And one of them is, like, um, that your boyfriend's partner's is going to make him value you less. Not true. Mm-hmm. And, and another one, um, just really quickly, is like that being popular and cool and desirable in high school makes you like a cool person in adulthood, which is like... Also not true. Definitely <laughs> has been disproved to me. <laughs> um, uh, and over time, I'm I'm hoping that you can distance yourself from that, that lie that you've been telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, my darling, we hope that this helps. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right. Our final letter comes to us from Sad Mom, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from The Void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you for all the amazing advice and listening ear you give your letter writers. I always feel so much less alone in the human experience listening to you guys and always turn off your podcast feeling better than I did before. Well, I just fucking love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm a 28-year-old cis woman with a long, extensive history of toxic relationships and an 8-year-old daughter. I was a single mother for five years before meeting the love of my life. Let's call him Jake. Jake and I met at work four years ago and have been dating for two and recently just got engaged a month ago. Jake has always exceeded my expectations of a partner. My daughter loves him, and this is the first healthy relationship I've ever been in. After years of feeling broken and incapable to committing to a forever relationship, he basically just walked in, acted like himself, and I immediately changed my mind, and we plan to get married in another year and a half. However, there's a lot Jake and I don't see eye to eye on politically. This normally doesn't cause entirely too much tension until today. I brought up the $250 a month tax credit I get for having a daughter from the stimulus package that was passed during the pandemic. He went on to say that he doesn't believe that people with children deserve tax breaks and how ridiculous it is that people out there are receiving direct payments and how people who receive assistance are lazy and undeserving of money from the government. This really, really cut deep for me and opened a lot of old wounds for me. I've always received decent returns for being a single mother, and they've been huge relief for me in the past years. They were the only slight amount of help I ever received, and many years were the only reason I ever had any extra money in my pocket for anything slightly extra for my daughter. It's just so clear to me that he doesn't understand how marginalizing it can be socially and systemically to be a single mother, and how this and how often this language has been weaponized against me. 
I spent such a large portion of my adult life pushing and working my finger to the bone and doing the best that I can and have been faced with nothing but ridicule from strangers and family members. Being called a, quote, leech or a freeloader or a welfare queen and being scoffed at and eyes rolled in my directions over receiving tax returns. I never hear anyone talked loudly enough about how cruel the general public is to young single mothers. When my daughter was little, I couldn't even go to the grocery store with her without scowls when I bought diapers. Jake swears he, quote, doesn't mean me when talking about these, quote, lazy people who, quote, have five kids and live off the government. But I just don't really see it that way. To me, the years I spent in poverty and received help in forms of tax credits will always be a part of my life. And therefore, all of these people who he's condemning will always include me as well. I feel insulted Mm. and belittled. How do I get him to understand this? How do I explain to him that hearing someone I love talk garbage about a group of people that at one point included me is discriminating against me? That there's no such thing as, quote, one of the good ones, and that hating them is also hating me, at least the way I see it. Is this a deal breaker? I feel embarrassed and humiliated to feel like I've been with someone who thinks so lowly of me and so many old wounds have opened up. It's one thing to blow off opinions of strangers or hillbilly racist or sexist family members. It's another from the person you've agreed to spend your life with. Any advice you can give me would be super helpful. Thanks always. Sad mom. Ooh, sad mom. Um, thank you for writing this letter to us and for trusting us with this. I'm I'm really sorry that you are experiencing um, this pain and yeah. this, especially from somebody that you love and trust so much um, and from somebody who seems to be intentionally or not um, missing what you're saying to yeah. him too, right? Like that's just, that's just really hard. And I, I, Really do want to thank you for for saying too that um, we don't talk loudly enough about how the general public is really cruel to single mothers and want to be really explicit in saying that you are absolutely right that the way that we treat single mothers is deplorable. <laughs> the way that we talk about them is deplorable, especially when we're talking about single mothers of color as well. Like this idea of the welfare queen, this idea of having children so that you can leech money off of the government is so, so cruel and demeaning to people who are honestly struggling to do things like put food on the table to feed their children. Yeah. And you're absolutely right that the way that we talk about the stereotypes that we have about single mothers, the way that we treat single mothers as like a society, as a government is really awful. Yeah. So um, just want to like affirm that and say thank you for calling that out and for writing to us about it because it is important for us to talk about yeah. this really important issue. Yeah, and it's very similar like in the last letter, like the the conflicting narratives we get from our government about what is the right and wrong life path to go on um, in terms of like talk about cognitive dissonance. Like we have these systems of support. Um, we have narratives about um, who should have children, who has the right to have children, um, mm. how what is the right way to have children, and then like control over people's bodies. And, you know, it. not to, there's a ton of stuff there that we could have, like, obviously get into, but I want to get back to the letter writer. But it all of this 
and everything you just said reminded me of the cognitive dissonance that we have around sex. There's cognitive dissonance about like child rearing, right? You know, about Mm -hmm. the right and wrong way to, to go through this life and, and to ask for help. It's like, you can ask for help in this way, but not in this way. And then we have all these stereotypes and, um, it's just, I, you're oof when you, when I finish reading this letter, I relate to you so deeply. And I feel honestly, like deeply honored that, uh, the sad mom trusted us with this just to give us the platform to share this perspective and her lived experience because, um, I think the letter is really fucking powerful and it also sucks like sad mom. It sucks. The way you said it is like the one thing, you know, it's one thing to like write off the opinions, the bigoted opinions of strangers. And it's another thing to like have to process it in your home, in your bed, in your partnership with this person Mm -hmm. who has made you feel safe enough to agree to marry, you know, Um, that is, is it a deal breaker to me? I don't know. I'm not in your body and in your relationship, but it's a big deal. Like you're being asked yeah. to do something very difficult right now. And I don't want mm-hmm. you to have to do it alone. You know, you ask us sort of like, how do I get him to understand this? And it, part of the problem is I think that you're doing all the things that I would recommend, right? To, to tell him how deeply it's hurting you, to tell him that you, that when he talks about single mothers who don't deserve government aid. He's talking about you. He's not talking about random people that he doesn't know. Um, and that your story is part of the story of, of that experience. Um, but unfortunately we live in a time right now where polarization, where ideology, um, is often like so firmly set that when presented with the reality of people's lives and experiences, like the ideology just sometimes wins, right? It's like, wow, he can look at you and say like, and you can say, look at me, like I am living proof of this thing that I'm trying to tell you. And he can say no, because my ideology tells me something different. And I trust my ideology more than my own experiences of you and our relationship. Like, and I, I don't think you're alone in that. Yeah. I think that like we are at a, like a particular moment right now where it's it's so hard to um, see anything beyond ideology. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm so sorry that that's playing out in your relationship. But besides trying to tell him that you are a human who's having the same experience that he is railing against, um, I don't know what other what other tactics you can use to help him try and see the humanity of the people that he's talking about. Yeah. And I'm honestly glad that you led with that sentence. How do I get him to understand this? Because my number one takeaway from this is it is not, I know this is very complicated because is because he is your life partner. And ultimately at the end of this letter or at the, you know, in your day-to-day life, I want this to work, right? I want him to see your humanity. I want him to, I want you to be able to work through this. That's, that's the goal, right? And also like spiritually in the core of my being, it is not, it sucks that you feel like it is your responsibility to get him to see your humanity, Again, mm-hmm. like Alok Vedmenon says, like, why do we put understanding over compassion? Why do we put comprehension right. over compassion? Um, and what Sam said is so perfect, too, because ideal- ideology stands in the way of nuance also, right? Like oh, th- absolutely. There is yep. so 
the diversity of the human experience and the diversity of why people need assistance, it, like, or or why people are on the life paths that they are, you know, um, mm-hmm. we we love to pathologize them into into single stereotypes that we can then have clear cut feelings about because it's really overwhelming to recognize that like no two no two life paths are the same and right. and whatnot. Um, this honestly like reminds me of so many government systems that are being questioned right now. And one of them is like student loan forgiveness. Um, (laughs) Well, what you said so beautifully about ideology just being like, it's like, well, I worked to pay off my student loan. So why wouldn't, you know, even when faced with the facts that like (laughs) the loan industry has been totally bastardized and that some people like will literally never will make a payment every single fucking month and never be able to pay off their student loans. Right. It's almost as though people can't let go of the fact that like, but I paid mine off. I had to pay mine. Right. You know, it's like mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the cognitive dissonance going on there. Totally unrelated, but that's what popped into my head. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, we just live in a world right now where politics is so, focused on like moralizing about like what people are doing and who deserves what and like all of this stuff. And so, right. So not focused on what do people need? Yeah. Right. Like what do, like literally what do people need? What, what are their life paths and like, how can we support them in those life paths? And like, so like this idea that like people, I think regardless of, of what they do or, or what their experiences have been probably like deserve to like, feed their children, feed their children and like have access to things and like be able to like do nice things with themselves and their children as well. Or like just by themselves too. Right. Like, yeah, there's just so much here that it's like, when did we decide that like some people were deserving of life and other people weren't yeah. <laughs> like, when did we decide that like some people are deserving of like not having to starve and some people were right. And there's something deeply American too, about, um, connecting laziness with worthiness as though like rest or like productivity is our is connected to goodness you know right. like that well, that makes sense because we want people to be productive because yeah. we want them to like or, make money or for it's other like the people. idea <laughs> that we assume um, like culturally we assume billionaires are it, it's been studied that we like inherently trust rich people more because we assume they work for it when like right. statistically they, they typically didn't, didn't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's so much here, sad mom. And I hope that you hear Sam and I's like compassion and frustration and the complexity of this. And, and, but at the core of this, like Sam and I could like critique this systemically and, uh, you know, from, from like a up, up in the air point of view, but at the core of this, there's a human relationship that is threatened right now because mm-hmm. your partner is not validating your pain and your lived experience. Um, there's a huge micro co- or macro conversation going on, but at the core, right. there's this micro, deeply meaningful wound that he is that he has inflicted or reopened or whatever you want to say. And so, how do we get to a point in your relationship in which you don't feel? in which you can both see each other fully and feel safe, feel safe with one another. For sure. sure. Absolutely. And I think that this is a circumstance 
where he's really not seeing you and he's not seeing your experience or your feelings. Um, and it sucks that the ideology is what may be getting in the way of this, but this would be like any other experience where your partner is, is negating what you've ha- what you're saying is happening or the pain that you're bringing, right? Like we th- often think of politics as being like, well, everyone has a right to their opinion and like, we can't necessarily try and contradict those opinions, what he's doing is really gaslighting you into th- thinking that you, that your experience isn't real here, right? And it's because of his politics, apparently. But that doesn't mean that the experience of it isn't real. And if he were doing anything else that was trying to gaslight you into thinking that your experience was real, right? If he would say was saying something like, um, "I don't believe that you were sexually assaulted," or mm-hmm. "I don't believe that you faced." harassment in the workplace or I don't believe that you um, did that thing, right? Like, I don't believe that you went to college, right? Like, <laughs> whatever it is where he's like, you're saying this is my experience and you're hurting me by 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 talking about my experience in this way. And he's saying, I don't care and that's not your experience. Like, that's a huge red flag. <laughs> that is like really emotionally damaging for you to be in that situation. So, I think that the only thing that you can do to help him understand that this is hurting you is to continue to tell him that this is hurting you in the hopes that he'll be able to see it past the ideology. But I also want to say that it's not your job Mm -hmm. to plead your humanity Mm -hmm. to someone else, right? It is not your job to get them to somehow see that your experience is your experience, Mm -hmm. right? So the question for you is... How often and how willing are you able, are you, or how often and how willing are you to have to make this case over and over again, right? How are you willing to do this amount of emotional work to maybe never get him to see that he's hurting you by the way that he is talking about this group of people? And and how do you value that? Like, Mm -hmm. Can you live with that? That if yes, that's great. When we want you, right. we want you to be able to be happy with this person. Right. Um, I think my recommendation would be to like really think about what you you know, like going back to the check-in topic. Like, what are your goals? What do you what do you want him to hear explicitly? And what are your realistic expectations? Like that he may never say exactly what he what you want to hear to make you feel like he gets this wound, right? But what do you mm-hmm. need to say to him? Write it down, journal, whatever you need to do. And then, and how ha- I, I would sit him down. Like Sam said, how many times do you want to have this conversation? Um, but I would, I would, I, I would at least give it one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then, and then see how I felt after that. I, that sounds weird, but I just mean like, I think this warrants a, Hey, can I talk to you about something serious? I've been thinking a lot about this and I, I feel, I want you to know that I feel deeply wounded by our conversation the other day. It has Mm -hmm. brought up these feelings for me. And, um, when you say this, it makes me feel this way, whether you associate, you know, like lay it all out. Mm -hmm. I mean, your letter is so beautifully articulate and painful. Um, I would, you could, you could read from this letter at some point, you know? Um, and, at the end of that conversation, you you can even say to him, like, I don't want you to respond until I'm done, because most importantly, I want you to know how I feel. I would love if you changed your mind. But but the 
but that's that's not a need. My need is I need you to hear how you hurt me. I need you to hear mm-hmm. how I feel disrespected. I, you know, we can't control other people. So do you need him to change his mind? No, what you need is to find out like, where your morals lie and your comfortability with being with this person. You want him to change your mind, (laughs) change his Mm -hmm. mind, you know? Um, But I think at the core of this is you need him to see your lived experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of that little speech, you can say, um, I, I love you and you've been amazing to me. This really cut deep and, I'm wondering if we can have more conversations about this or if you're open to that or something like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, Sad Bomb. Thank you for writing in. And again, I'm so sorry that you are dealing with this and struggling through this. Um, Sierra and I see you. We see your experience. Um, We know that it is true and it is true for you. Um, And we hope that you find a way forward um, in this relationship or find a way forward outside of it, but whatever you decide is going to be the right thing for you. We love you so much. Thank you so much for writing. All right. This brings us to the blind date segment of the show. Every episode, we want to shout out something that we love that we want to set you up with. And this week we are sending you home with a TV show called the wheel of time, um, which is on Amazon prime. It is, um, a fantasy story about, um, I mean, it's, it's basically a fantasy story. <laughs> it's like, it's great. There are, <laughs> there are, uh, women who can do magic. Uh, there's a, um, a potential hero being reborn who can like, uh, set the world right and put the evil one back into his, um, his prison. Like, it's just, uh, a beautiful, very familiar story. Um, it's very well acted. And also <laughs> one of the big draws is the costuming. <laughs> is fantastic um it sort of exists in the society where only women are are able to do magic because if men do it they basically lose their mind and so um it's a lot of like high powered women in like beautiful costumes (laughs) 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 who are like politicking and backstabbing each other um in like a very fun and interesting way um it's it's a really fun watch. Um, it's very well done. Like the, the costuming is amazing. The sets are really cool. Uh, the story is really fun and easy to follow. Um, and it was just like a very enjoyable, uh, time to, to sort of relax and, and just enjoy some really good content. So, uh, again, that's called the wheel of time. It is on Amazon prime. I can't wait to check it out. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions of all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to subscribe or follow and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media. And original recording, editing, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify or check out his brand new podcast, 
finding Quantum Quest. And remember, despite your mistakes, despite your emotions, your messiness, and your inherent human imperfection, you deserve to be seen in your emotional experience. You deserve to be validated in your lived experience, and you deserve to be believed despite how it comes out, despite how imperfect we are at the end of the day. We can't control that, but we can ask just to be seen and held in that humanity. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs> <laughs>